Hey, welcome to Being Creative. The This is the journey of discovering the value of our creative capital as we face the challenges in life through the stories of success and failures of individuals like us or not like us at all. Welcome to this week's episode. Let's go. Well, welcome to the show. As you know, my name is Rick Leaf. I am the host of Being Creative. Glad you're here. So being creative is so much more than a podcast. Being creative is a mindset. It's a lifestyle, one that produces a resilient energy that empowers us to face the challenges that life throws at us. And in the process, creates momentum. Basically, it's it's the opposite of feeling stuck in a rut and spinning your wheels going nowhere fast. And if you've heard me before, uh, you know one of my favorite subjects is creative capital. It's, it's the way I describe the talents and gifts and abilities and education and experience that are unique to you. And I love talking about creative capital because it is a very real form of wealth. It's the most valuable resource you have as you face challenges and changes through all the stages of your life. Uh, It's related to everything from resiliency to problem solving to team building. It it just impacts everything. But here's the thing. Even Superman could be brought down by kryptonite. And for creativity, kryptonite uh, is the sensors in your mind. You know those voices that sow fear and doubt and whisper in your ear why you couldn't possibly succeed? You're not smart enough, old enough, young enough, rich enough, fast enough, strong enough. And left unchallenged, sensors will suck hope and optimism from the very marrow of your creative bones, which is why we have to talk about this stuff. So being creative, yeah, it's a podcast that explores the journey of discovering uh, the value of our creative capital kind of out in the real world where we're actually looking for very real solutions to the very real problems that we're facing. And, and you know what? The stories of successes, um, they're great, you know, um, because I think we're all inspired by the, you know, let's hopefully we're able to be inspired by the the wild accomplishments of others. But we can all relate to failure and struggle. And it's too bad that we're not more comfortable in sharing that side of life and our journey. Well, I should say, if you're not... Um, I am. So let's jump into this week's episode. Um, This is the tale of two classrooms. So, okay, to get started, I want to start with a story. Um, Many years ago, I was living in Winnipeg, Manitoba, and I had approached the Member of Parliament with this idea for engaging the emerging electorate, and she liked this idea, and, and we started talking, and she said, you know what, let's, uh, let's take the first step, and she's like, I'll host a house concert, and you perform at it, and we'll kind of build this event around these ideas that you've laid out in this uh, proposal, this proposal. So... 
I set up, everything comes together on that night. And the first five or six people to come through the door to this um, house concert at the Member of Parliament's home were very senior citizens. Like I remember wheelchairs involved. I remember an oxygen tank being rolled in with somebody. And I I immediately freaked out. At that time, particularly in my life, um, elders kind of freaked me out. I was always super, super insecure that, you know, they wouldn't like my music or they would find me offensive in some way <laughs> and that they would hate this. And all I could think was, oh, no, I don't do music that these folks are going to enjoy. And I thought they're going to hate it tonight. And they're they're probably going to leave early. And I just pictured them, you know, walking out in mass and, and the member of parliament seeing, you know, her voting uh, constituency leaving and resenting having wanting to have anything to do with me. I had a full on episode in, you know, behind my eyes, you know, in my own little kind of creative mind. And I thought, OK, just to myself, I thought, you know, what, what could make tonight work is if I explain every song before I sing it. And, and even if they don't like the style or the genre, maybe they'll appreciate the story or what inspired me to, to write the song in the first place. So I really did. I, I talked too much. I, I over-explained probably every single song of the night. So, but other than that, everybody seemed to have a pretty good night. We went away and it felt like a success. And then the next day, this guy, Bob, phones me up and he's like, uh, hey, I live at the end of the street. I was at that concert last night. Here's my address. I walked down to my house this afternoon and, and we'll have a glass of wine and I want to talk to you about something. So I don't know what's going on. I walk down there. I I meet Bob. He introduces himself, tells me that he's a retired United Church minister. He's a political cartoonist. He's an author. And uh, he said, I was walking home and I said to my partner, uh, that kid, uh, he's a preacher. And I remember looking across the room at Bob, like I didn't know how to take that. I was like, that was one of the weirdest things anybody had ever said to me. And I didn't know whether it was because he was a a retired United Church minister. And he was like, I see myself in you, like a younger version, or I didn't know what he was uh, saying. And he followed up with something that stuck with me to this day. He's like, Rick, uh, a preacher doesn't trust his audience. Uh, a storyteller trusts his audience to make the necessary connections. And he gave me many really helpful um, examples from the night before as I'd over-explained a song. And he's like, you don't, need to over- you don't need to explain that. You don't need to spell that out. Trust your audience understands. They live in this neighborhood. They live in this city. They live in the same country as you. They have a shared experience. Just tell a story and let people find themselves and where they're at in your story. And it was such a powerful thing. It's really stuck with me and and impacted how I've written songs, how I wrote my book, how I make my videos, basically everything. I just want to tell a story. And that's what being creative is about as a podcast too. It's to share the stories that people are having and they might uh, be in the same industry or the same stage of life as you, or they might not. And I'm just trusting that you will, and I bless you, to listen to the story, find your own way uh, and what you want to take away from that. So the story I want to share is actually the tale of two classrooms. And in the last six months, I, you know, I, if you don't know what I do, I, I spend most of my year now 
um, going into schools and doing these creative development workshops, these multimedia projects to um, involve every student in a school. And we're, you know, writing songs and creating videos and and writing and, and performing slam poetry. And I'm putting these videos together. And really it's these are these are really uh, exciting, fun. There's so much creativity going on. Uh, this particular story of these two classrooms, I was teaching slam poetry. And uh, I was in this first class, in this first school, and you could you could just tell right off the bat, the teacher had a really great rapport with his class. He was there, you know, as they were all coming in, he was joking and kind of bantering with them and teasing them lightheartedly and they're all laughing and joking and it was really great right off the bat I loved the energy right I loved the vibe I loved the culture of that classroom and I'm introducing myself and I'm telling them at some point I say yeah you know before I was ever a slam poet I was a songwriter and they're like oh well do you have any do you have any music out and I'm like oh yeah and then some kid says do you do you have any music on Spotify and I'm like yeah for sure you can find an album there's a number of stuff number of albums on Spotify and uh, the teacher from the back just he says man every, you know I keep hearing about Spotify what is Spotify anyway I don't even know well, it was like a little bomb went off in the class. All these kids, they're just like, what? You don't know what, Sl- you don't know what Spotify is? Oh, my God. I can't believe he doesn't know. <laughs> and it was this chaos. And then the teacher, I really appreciated this. He just jumped in and said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, we've talked about this. Like, nobody should be made to feel stupid for asking a question, for not knowing something. This is a, a safe place to ask questions and learn. And you know what? It was clearly an ongoing conversation that had happened all year because they immediately just pivoted on a dime. And they, many of them called out, you know, they were, they, apologies, sorry, Mr. Whatever. Yeah, I'm sorry. That was whatever. And I, I really, really loved it. I, I thought that was so great. And I, I pointed at one of the loudest kids who had been teasing the teacher. And I said, well, so, so explain. Tell them what Spotify is or whatever. So they explained it all. But I realized, you know, that class, when I was introducing slam poetry, they'd never written it before. And if you don't know slam poetry, it's, um, it's the, I describe it as the combination of creative writing and creative performance. It's not like rap or hip hop because there's no music and there's no beats. And it's, it's not like theater or acting because there's no costumes or props. It's just about words, but it's a performance art. So the only way you would experience what a slam poet has written is if they actually perform it. You'd never read a slam poet's writing. And uh, for many reasons, it's a really powerful way for getting students excited in creative writing. So that was what I was there to do. And this class had been right off the bat really receptive to this art form that they never done. You can usually get students to write uh, once you kind of give a writing prompt and kind of explain how we're approaching it. And I give them a number of, you know, prompts and writing prompts and things to get them going and explain it and make it easy. Um, But, and then, you know, the trick sometimes can be, uh, will they get up and perform? Um, and, and that's the real powerful part of it for them to be able to hear their own voice, their own words and thoughts and ideas in their own voice out loud in this world. That's a powerful thing for any of us, particularly for, uh, students. And so 
they all did. They just, there was this huge buy-in from students willing to get up and read and perform. And it was just such a fun class to be in. It could have been the very next week or, or the week after I was in a completely different school, different class, different teacher. And it was the complete opposite. And I, I got into this class and I, I understand um, how to read audiences and how to read rooms from all of my years as a performer and a producer. And so I walked in and the teacher was fantastic. She was really great. And she calls them all in. She introduces me. She kind of really builds up the whole thing. And as I start to do what I do, which is explain and introduce the writing prompt and what we're going to do, I identified about five students in two different groups that were, um, how would I describe it? They were the ones to, that were making this not a safe environment, um, and all that happens to be that is to, to make a place uh, not safe is um, if somebody, if you mock somebody, if you laugh at somebody, if you say something sarcastic, if you talk over them, if you, and we're all very attuned to this. Um, so uh, no matter what age you are, so. I explained the writing prompt. This one group of these three girls were literally sitting six feet away from me, and they didn't listen to a thing I said the entire... I I try to get quite quickly through the writing prompt idea so that they can uh, start writing as quickly as possible. So I'm talking maybe 10 minutes or less. And they didn't listen a bit. And they... I don't care. I've performed my entire life in in pubs and clubs around the country where drunk people aren't listening to me <laughs> either. So I'm quite uh, comfortable with just like zeroing in on the people who are interested and making eye contact and are engaged. But it was funny because as soon as I'm done, everybody starts writing. And it's not enough for the person who... Um, the the whole thing about safety, it's about power in the room. So you would think if the student was just not interested that they, when I finish talking and everybody starts writing, it's quiet that they'd like, I don't know, pull out their phone or they just space out and look out the window or daydream or doodle or something. They won't. They want to continue to be the center of uh, attention in the room um, because it's all about control. And so this girl, she goes, oh, I don't know what we're doing. What's happening? I don't know. And if you're a teacher, you probably have your own way of dealing with a situation like this. For me, um, I just laughed and I'm like, you're kidding, right? I'm like, you just totally disrespect me for 10 minutes, not listening to me, which is totally your right, but it is totally my right to, you know, carry on working with these guys who were listening and are interested in writing. So I I just basically said that, stare out the window, go to your happy place, doodle, I don't care, but like, I'm not explaining it again. And I say it in a really lighthearted, funny way, but also I'm just like, this isn't about you. And we're not going to focus on you. The focus is not going to be on you. Now, the thing about... So anyways, let me just finish this thought. 
So everybody starts writing, and I walk around. And this was a middle school, and there's lots going on typically in middle school in life, um, in, in the lives of most students. And they are writing like crazy. Like they are filling pages and turning them over and grabbing other pages. And so the, the amount of writing was really energetic. There was this huge kind of energy as everybody was focusing. When it got to, would anybody like to read? Not one single solitary student. So if there's 25 of them in this class, 20 of them were writing like a lot. And not one of those would read. And now this is what I want to talk about because this um, percentage wise, there's always going to be one, at least one, but probably one to three or four students who are willing to read first and they break the ice And the way creativity works is when you take a creative risk, when you step out and do something, whether you mean to or not, you kind of create this energy and this momentum that makes it easier for those around you to do the same. And so the fact that nobody would, um, that doesn't mean that nobody has anything to say. And clearly the amount that they were writing, they had a lot to say. The reason they weren't going to share was because it wasn't a safe environment. They knew that. And I knew that. And there's not really anything I can do in that moment when I'm only there for one or two days in the week to work with this class. But I really felt for that teacher because that teacher was trying. She was the only one who read. She had written the exercise as well. She'd taken the writing prompt and done her own writing. And she read thinking that maybe that would break the ice and it would help the students to you know, want to do the same. But it doesn't work that way. It's these five people, uh, these five other students who are making the environment hostile. So what could you do if this is you? Let's say you're a teacher and you have an environment that's like this. It's it's not a safe place. Um, why isn't it a safe place? What is that person looking for? Um, and what can you do? Well, Here's what I've learned. It's hostile because that those students, so I'm just going to say those five students, they're dealing with such a high degree of insecurity that they themselves could never possibly imagine taking a creative risk and trying something that they're not 100% convinced they would look cool at. They They have no confidence whatsoever to even write privately on a piece of paper. They don't even have the confidence to do that. Because what if it, what if they're not happy with it? And this comes down to the, the sensors that we have in our, in our head that tell us why we can't do anything. You know, you're, you're too old or you're too young or you're not strong enough or smart enough or rich enough or whatever. You know, whatever the voices are in that, that student's mind, they're feeling like, I'm not guaranteed that I'm going to succeed. I cannot handle one more failure. I cannot handle one more thing coming at the expense of my, you know, shattered um, insecurity. So they're not going to try. But they're also, when you're that insecure, 
everybody else's success seems to come at your expense. So when you see the other people in the room are writing and you're afraid to even write for yourself, you can't in that place possibly imagine letting them open their mouth and share their words and maybe be celebrated by the other members of the class, maybe be commended by the guest teacher or by your teacher. They have to make sure that nobody can succeed. So if I'm going to have the opportunity to actually work with a student like that in a situation like that, here's what I've learned that you can do as a solution a creative solution to try to solve that problem because ultimately uh, it's not going to get better the longer the year goes on. You can have uh, one of those classrooms where it's just like as a teacher, you're going to be pulling teeth all year trying to get anybody to do anything and step out and try anything. So what I do to try to make it as easy as possible is I have a writing exercise it's um, it's about the power of words, and I would say, look, you know, I don't care, I don't care how old you are. You're 12 years old. You're 14 years old. You're old enough that you've had people in your life who've used words to build you up and encourage and inspire you. And I know you've had people in your life who've used words to tear you down and make you feel bad and whatever. So what do we want to do here is we're going to write two lines. And we're not going to take a whole lot of time to do it, but we're going to, the, your, your lead line, your prompt is, some days your words feel like, and I want you to think about words that have hurt you and uh, how did it make you feel? And we talk about what are the things in life that actually hurt, you know, getting punched. Okay, getting punched where? Punch in the gut that takes your breath away? Some days your words feel like a punch in the gut that takes my breath away? What about a slap? Slap where? Slap to the face? Some days your words feel like a slap to the face and the, you know, the sting on my skin or the the ring in my ears or whatever. Um, I was up north once, had a kid, you know, some days your words feel like a grizzly claws and teeth tearing me apart. Uh, One day, (laughs) I love one, one day, or some days your words feel like Lego on bare feet. So I just encourage students, you're going to write this one line, some days your words feel like, and I want you to think of something, describe words that hurt. How would you do that? But that's not the only uh, way that people have used words in your life. People have used words to build you up and encourage you and inspire you. So I want you to then, your next writing prompt is, but some days... Your words feel like, and now I want you to like think about those words that have inspired you and and that are beautiful and encouraging. And so how would you describe those? Some days your words are like a sunrise. Some days your words are um, like winning the lottery, you know, whatever. I get them to write. We don't take more than like three to five minutes to explain, give some examples. I like to throw some word banks up there so that if you are completely stuck, if you could hardly even imagine yourself, you're one of these students, one of these, you know, five students who has so little confidence in yourself that you can't even imagine doing anything. I say, uh, I've given you enough examples, you could literally just copy off the board, take an idea, put this down, some days life feels like Lego on bare feet, just write an exact thing that's on there. You like the way that sounded? Just write it. 
and you write your two lines, don't put your name on the paper, and you pass it in to me. So they all, they write for maybe three, four minutes. It doesn't take very long. Um, As they're done, I just get them to come up. I just keep shuffling the papers, making sure that everybody sees it's going to be absolutely uh, anonymous. Nobody's going to know. I'm not writing anybody's, reading anybody's name out or whatever. So then I say, what we're going to do is we're going to take all these lines and I'm going to make one slam poem class or group slam poem. And then I'll perform it or I'll get somebody in the class who wants to perform it. Now, there's a reason I'm doing this. This is the value of this exercise is all about the process. Usually the poem will be fine. Uh, It won't be stellar. And that's not even the point. So I'm going to start on the whiteboard. I'm going to be like, some days life feels like, and then I'm just going to start reading them out, the, the words that hurt. And I read them out and I'll say, look, Uh, We're going to go really fast. If I read your line and I don't use it, it doesn't mean that your line is any worse than anybody else's. It might just be where we're at in the flow of words or imagery. And you might have a great line that would have worked two lines before if I had read it. But we're just going to go really quick because it's not about copying out 25, you know, different lines. All We don't have time. And that's not the point. The point is just putting our ideas together. So I'm going to read every line out loud. And there's going to be some that are going to be very similar. You know, your words feel like a punch in the gut. Your words feel like a punch in the face. Your words feel like a punch in the arm. You know, it'll be like slight variations of the same thing. So I read it out loud and I try to make some observation, really quick little observation about why it's good. So I'd be like, hey, you know what? This is very similar to the one that we just read two ago. And you know what's really cool about that? That means that the imagery that you use to describe this, somebody else in the audience would immediately connect to because they put it the very same way. So if their lines happen to be the same, I can compliment them. If they come up with something wildly original, I say, hey, you know what's really cool? You know, that turn of a phrase, I've never thought of that before. That would really like pique my curiosity. I would really be interested in that. I'd give you snaps for that one. We put together this line and I read it out loud. And I say something complimentary about it all intentionally because I'm thinking about those five students in that room who need to hear me say their line out loud. They need to hear it out loud anonymously, safely. Nobody knows it's them. I say something complimentary about it. And what always happens is that they're like, you know what? My writing was just as good or better than anybody else in this room. It gives them that sliver of confidence that, oh, I might be able to do this. That might be able to is a humongous step for those students in your class who see uh, everybody's success coming at their expense, who are terrified and afraid of taking a risk. I've, I've had many teachers come up to me over the years and say, you know, this student came up to me, blah, 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 student, whatever. Little Billy came up to me at recess and said, Mrs. So-and-so, um, you know, Rick, he, he didn't use my line but he said it was a really good line. So I really like this. I really like this slam poetry stuff. 
What you need to do as the teacher, I mean, obviously, as the leader in any environment like that, if you want to create a safe place, you got to be the first person to take a creative risk. You got to pattern and model what you hope to see, knowing that you really can't take that step for them, but you can uh, help them to take that tiny little baby step and the, the, the anonymity is, is a huge piece of that. You also can't just read the lines out in your head and only use the lines that you want to write on the whiteboard. You have to read them all out loud because we need to hear we're all in this together. We're all just as good. Anybody can do this. Um, I really felt for that teacher and I never had the opportunity to touch base with her after the second uh, session that we had. The the thing that really kind of broke my heart, uh, to be honest, because I'm really passionate about what I do and I want to see students succeed. I I love um, having those success stories when when um, students do take a, a risk. They do read. They uh, it's it's such an amazing experience for me. Um, that year. I was in, I don't know, working with all of the, I think it was grade seven or grade eight classes. So, you know, I'm working with maybe two or 300 students that week or maybe 400. I don't know. It's a big school. Um, at the end of the week, the Friday, usually we have a poetry slam, the last block of the day. And that's where all of the classes that I've worked with get together, usually in the library or the gym. And we, uh, we have this poetry slam where, again, if you've never been to one, you don't know what it is. So slam poetry is this combination of creative writing and creative performance. Poetry slam is where the poets go to perform. You, you never get to experience it unless they perform it. So we have this moment where you, you can sign up and be one of the people who would read your poem at the poetry slam in the library the last block of fly, Friday. And I usually have at least 50 students who have had that success over the week. They want to carry that into this next step because it's pretty intimidating. It's a pretty big step to go from, you know, reading your poem out for 25 students in your class to getting up in front of three or 400. Uh, But there's always, they've had that feeling of success and that feeling creates a momentum. When you get somebody to take a creative risk, it it expands their world. It expands basically what they believe they are capable of. They let, it lets them see themselves with new eyes and the whole world of potential and possibilities opens up in front of them. It's really exciting. So there's usually so many, we barely get through them all in that one block. This lady's class was the only one that didn't have anybody represent Nobody got up. That's shocking to me, particularly walking around that room. And you know what? Many of them would say, um, I'd be like, how's it going? You know, there's one-on-one. Hey, how's it going? Whatever. And they'd be like, do you want to read this? And they would hand it to me. And you guys, it was, it was amazing. And I mean, this is during COVID. So students are going through a lot. We are all going through a lot, but you know, you you imagine trying to go through middle school with everything else that goes on in middle school and everything that you're trying to deal with, plus COVID, plus isolation, plus fear and insecurity, plus stress. Oh my God. Uh, their writing was deeper 
and more meaningful and really emotional, all those things that I love about Slam, and not one of them would read it. Now, I hope they kept it. I hope they tucked it away somewhere and kept it for themselves because there is value in writing whether or not we're willing uh, and at that place to share with anybody else or not. But it was uh, these two classrooms that year, they really brought into such clear focus how important it is for us to have a safe place to take a creative risk. That first classroom the teacher was just so great at reinforcing, this is a safe place. You can ask questions. You can not know stuff. You can admit, I don't know how to do that. I don't know what that is. And we're not going to make fun of you. And if we forget that, and people do, we're going to remind everybody and you're, and we're going to reinforce that. And people are going to apologize and they're going to, you know, encourage you to keep going. That is such a Uh, an exciting environment to be in. That is the type of environment that students are going to want to go to school to experience. You know, a lot of us don't have that. A lot of workplaces aren't like that. A lot of homes aren't like that. A lot of relationships aren't like that. So when you can create a space like that, you are doing something amazing. For if you happen to be in a situation, work, relationship, otherwise, or if you're a teacher and your classroom isn't this, um, you know, the power of words, it is a a lesson uh, that I have here on my website, or or just take what you've heard and run with it in any way you can, you know, giving somebody an opportunity to take a creative risk, a very simple, simple step, something as simple as, you know, some days life feels like winning the lottery. Some days life feels like getting punched in the gut. Man, that, that's pretty easy for even the most insecure student to put that down, to pass that paper in, go sit there with their head down, their hair in front of their face, terrified of what they've just done. And then you're just reading through it. It takes absolutely nothing from us to read it and be complimentary. Uh, and, and you'll never know You'll never know um, how those simple little exercises, those simple little moments um, make that space for a person to start believing in themselves. You know, we live in such a punitive sort of culture and society. If somebody makes a mistake, a political person or or anybody in the public or whatever, we want them to pay, right? We want them to pay. And so I think sometimes, you know, when I go into a classroom and here's these five students that are kind of wrecking it for everybody, you want to be punitive. You want to be like, go to the office or get out in the hall or shut up or sit down or whatever. That's not ultimately what you want. You, they're creating this environment because they're so insecure and you can't ignore the other 20 students and and focus on all of these students because that's kind of feeds into that insecurity that they become, uh, they derail everything and it becomes about them and nobody gets to move on and progress and succeed uh, if they aren't going to progress and succeed and they won't take those risks to be able to have that success. You know what I mean? It's this circular kind of problem. So, If you can just simply make an opportunity for somebody like that to take a little tiny step um, and succeed, uh, yeah, you'll see an incredible difference because that's ultimately what's knocking the wheels off the cart, so to speak, and, and not letting us get any kind of momentum. So 
Anyways, that is it for this particular episode. Uh, I love um, the stories of creativity, uh, the way that you, um, you know, you find people that uh, are, are facing the challenges in their industry, in their life, at their stage of their life. Um, creative capital, applying it to our, our problems and our struggles and finding solutions that work, even if they just work for you. Um, always, please drop me a line, drop me an email or, or leave a comment. Um, because uh, I'm always, you know, we're always interviewing people and their stories and what they're doing. Um, but it also, it's just encouraging to me to know that there's people out there to hear your stories. And you know what? To hear your your failures or if your your struggles. A lot of times when we're doing slam poetry, I'm like, you know, we there, maybe it's, I blame it on Disney movies from, you know, wherever. But I'm like, you know, lots of times we're in the middle of our story. Or we're at the dark night of the soul, or we're at the lowest point of our of our journey or our optimism, and, and we feel like, well, I, I gotta wait till the happy, you know, ever after. I gotta wait till it's all resolved. I gotta wait till it's all worked out. No, no, you don't. Not at all. Like that class, uh, I didn't get to have the success with them. They, I mean, they wrote that was a success. Uh, none of them read out loud either in class or at the poetry slam that was sad for me that was actually a first that i've never in what has it been now 12 years and just tens of thousands of students that have gone through i've never actually had a class where i wasn't able to overcome that um that particular kind of cultural barrier the creative kind of cultural barrier so I learned, uh, it made me all that more motivated in every school I went to for the rest of the year to make sure that uh, we overcame that. So anyways, drop me a line. If you have any questions or comments on this episode, please leave them and we will talk to you again soon. Thanks for listening so much. Go well and be creative.